Today we begin a new series. Uh, we've been in a series about the family, and we're going to jump into a book series, and we're looking at the book of Colossians. And so if you want to be reading through Colossians as we kind of go along, uh, we're not going to be a long series in Colossians, so that means we are kind of flying by. It, it's uh, one of those books that is just so full of such great stuff, and I apologize for in advance for kind of taking the fast run through it. But but I am, I am really excited about being in the book of Colossians. And the more I read it, uh, the more excited I get, and I trust that you will be as well. Now, one of the reasons why I like it so much is that Colossians is one of those books that just keeps pointing you back to Jesus, to the centrality of who Christ is and, and what he's done in our lives. And, and what we find out is that it's because because of Christ and who he is, that our lives are changed. Our lives are different. We have redemption in him, and, and in him we have transformation, and in him uh, we're given this hope, and in him we have all this stuff that we're going to look at, uh, some of it described in today's message, but, but all through the book, it's just this continual reflection to say, you know what, if we're living in Christ, we're different, and that's kind of the image. Uh, Christ is the very image of God, and and if we're living in him, then that's the character that's being developed within us. And so we're going to talk about how that goes over the next seven weeks or so. And, and I hope that, that you will just kind of throw yourself into this and see yourself as I'm just one of those uh, Christians from Colossae and, and I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm going to learn from this and apply this to my life and who and what I am. But uh, it, it begins with very simple words. Paul gives this similar kind of introduction many times in his letters. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will, will of God. You know, okay, I can't even stop there. But, but called by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, you know, you know who Paul was. Paul was this apostle uh, one of those that were chosen, directly called by Jesus, an encounter with Jesus, to go and spread the message. And his particular calling was to go into the Gentile world to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to those who had never heard any of it, brand new stuff to these folk, and, and that's where he was called out to do. Uh, he's called to be an apostle. An apostle is that root word comes from the idea of missionary, one who is sent out, that he's sent out to do these kinds of things. And so there he went. And uh, you know him, he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. Uh, you've read his stuff. And Timothy, Timothy, you probably also know, but Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. Not a literal son, but, but a spiritual son. Uh, Timothy was somebody that Paul had won to the Lord, that, that took with him on his missionary journeys, that uh, invested in him and trained him to be a pastor and assigned him actually at one point to the, the church in Ephesus, which is just nearby uh, the church in Colossae. And so we know about him. And then this church in Colossae, Colossae is this town that's kind of inland a little bit. Uh, in present-day Turkey, if you kind of want to locate yourself on a map, uh, kind of present-day Turkey, kind of inland, about 120 miles from Ephesus, which was out by the coast. Uh, they're described as people who are holy and faithful. That is to say, these are people... Oh, there you are, Gary. I didn't even see you over there. So anyway, thank you for last week. Anyway, I was thanking you, and I didn't even know you were here. So, uh, but, but they're described as these people who are, who are probably relatively new in their faith, but they are 
Christians. They are people who know the Lord, who have heard the message and responded to the message, and they're living out their faith in ways that are visible and obvious to the people around them. And, and so we kind of get that idea. One of the things I think was interesting as I was reading about this is that, that they think that probably these, this Colossian church is probably no more than five years old. So just imagine your faith when you were just five years into your faith. Where, where were you at? What were the questions that you had? What were the things that you were dealing with? That's probably the same kinds of things they were dealing with, relatively new in their faith, and, and knew like, I don't know any of this. You know, not like we, we, most of us came to faith and, and we knew something about Christianity and the church and those kinds of things because we have all this cultural background. But, but these people had no background but have just said yes to this message of Jesus, to this hope that they have within them. And so we talk about those kinds of things. And, and so Paul says there is this, this big thing going on in their lives. And so read with me. We're going to be looking at the next verses, verses 3 through 14. So if you have your Bibles there and want to follow along, this is what it says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that came to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ Jesus, a minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since that day, we, or since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a worthy life of the Lord, a life worthy of the Lord, and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, bearing, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, these people had a reputation five years into their faith, and they already had a reputation. They already had a reputation for their faith and love. But interestingly enough, we understand that this faith and love comes from the hope of the gospel. Hope of the gospel. There was this hope, this message, and people get hope or want hope or arrive at hope because there is something more they're looking for. They say there's got to be something there, and they hear this message that says, yes, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Yes, there is forgiveness. Yes, there is newness. Yes, there is this eternal life that waits for us. And to that, they attach their faith, and it flows out in love. When we think about the gospel, there are probably four things that we ought to remember as we, as we look through this. And I understand I'm flying through this, but I'm just going to tell you that some things you need to understand about this gospel message of hope. The first one is this, is that it is the truth. 
Paul uses that word several times in this passage as he's talking about this gospel message that they received, that it is the truth, it is the truth, it is the truth, that this gospel message is not a false message, it's not not something out there, it is the truth, and you can bank on it. It is the truth of God, his love come down in Jesus Christ, lived among us, crucified, dead, buried, raised again. The truth. The second thing he tells us is that it's universal. Uh, He says that that this gospel message is affecting people all over the world. It's it's for everybody. And sometimes, this is important, this is why I want to bring this up, is because, because sometimes we hear and sometimes we buy into the message that Christianity is a Western cultural phenomenon. But you need to understand that it is not a Western cultural phenomenon. It's something we got from somebody else. It's not just about an American culture. It is the good news brought to the Near East culture. It came from them to other people. It came from them to Asian people, and it came, that good news message transformed their lives, and it it transformed everybody's life. And that's why it's good news, is because it's affecting people by people by people, not just just us here in this world. It's true in Ethiopia, right? It's the same gospel message. It's the same gospel message in in Africa, in Mexico, in South America. It is that same gospel message. It is not a cultural thing. It is the person of Jesus Christ that is changing our world. It is the power of the gospel in every culture to transform lives. And then the third thing is this, that it's growing. Um, he says that this, this gospel message is bearing fruit and growing, and, and, and he tells you, people, you know what happens is that you know, not everybody receives the message, but, but it's like this grain of seeds that we're planting all around us, but some do. You look around the world today and you see it. Thousands and thousands of people saying yes to this same gospel message. We look in our hearts and we see transformation. We look around us and we see it. Not everyone will receive it, but it is growing. The fourth thing that I think is kind of interesting too is that it's delivered by people. Very specific people. It's, it's passed along. The, the church in Colossae heard it from this guy named Epaphras. I think that's kind of an amazing thing, that, that there, there's a specific name attached to how these people came to faith. And what you realize is you look back and you say, somebody told me about the message of Jesus Christ. Somebody did. Way back when, somebody heard the message, Paul heard the message, encountered Jesus Christ. He went out and told somebody else, and he won Timothy, and and Timothy went down the road, and they won somebody else, and and, and one of the people that they all won was Epaphras, and and Epaphras said, I got to take this message to my friends and my family, and, and Epaphras told somebody else, and suddenly there's a church in Colossae. And that same thing is true, is that message is passed on from one person to another person to another person. Who was that person for you? Do you remember? 
Do you remember who it was that this just influenced you to make a decision for Christ? Maybe it was lots of people, probably it was lots of people in our day and age, our culture. My parents were big for me. You Sunday school teachers, roommate in college, a girlfriend. <laughs> They're always good for those things. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, no. Well, that's cost me double right there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, but, but, there, but there's something about that. There, it, it is passed on. It doesn't come by osmosis. That, that's, a, that's a joy to remember and also responsibility to take on. That who are you passing along this message of this hope of the gospel to? Well, he says all of this is happening and He stops and prays. And he says, I I pray that since we've heard about all this, since we've heard about your faith and we've heard about your your walking with the Lord and your love that you have and the hope that you have, we, we have just not stopped to pray for you. I mean, stopped praying for you. And he prays for them that that they would understand the will of God in their lives. You know, most of us, when we think about discovering the will of God, what is it that we really want to know? We really want to know what to do, don't we? We'd say, God, you know, I'm in this mess. I'm in this situation. Now, if you just tell me what to do, I'd be very happy. I don't know. And if you could do it by tonight, that would be even better. Am I supposed to move or not move? Just tell me the city. I'm willing. You just tell me the city. I'll go. Am I supposed to get married to this gal or guy? I don't know. Just say yes. If there's something I should know about this, you know, wake me up. Tell me right now. Just lay it all out for me. But there is another part to the will of God, and, and, and that's okay to pray those kind of prayers, by the way. We are kind of laugh about that. It's okay to pray those kind of prayers, but... But there's a whole other bigger part of of the will of God that comes before this idea of God just tell me what to do. There is this other side of the will of God that talks to us about tell me who you want me to be. Not like a vocation, but like character. It's this idea of saying, I, I, if I want to really know the will of God, I, I've got to understand that will of God talks to me about who I am, about my character, about my person and, and what I'm doing, who I am, my relationship with God. And Paul tells us in this passage that, that the knowledge of God's will comes through spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding. And, and, and you kind of need to understand it because it's kind of unique words that they're using there. And, and this idea of wisdom that Paul uses here is really this idea that says wisdom, in the way that Paul's using, is to understand God's perspective on life. It is to understand God's view of what's happening, of God's view of of what's going on around us. And and so we begin that process to say, if I'm going to understand the will of God, I've got to understand it through spiritual wisdom. And that spiritual wisdom is to understand how does God see what's going on in me and around me? 
Does God have some principle, some understanding, some way of viewing what's happening in this context? That's not always how we think about wisdom, but, but that's how Paul is using it here. He also talks about this idea of, of understanding, and understanding says, well, when I, when I get the idea of God's wisdom being God's perspective, understanding is how I apply that wisdom to life in real situations. And true understanding always comes through the wisdom of God's perspective. And too often we settle for an understanding of our situation from our own perspective. And we think, okay, well that must be wisdom. But, but we've really got to understand every situation we face from God's perspective. And when he says this, he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, asking for God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And he's doing that for a reason, he says. He says, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. I don't know about you, but I read that and I feel a little pressure. Anybody else? You, you kind of get there and say, okay, well, you're praying for this. Uh, I, wisdom and, and understanding that I understand the will of God, that I can live in a life that's worthy of him and that, that is pleasing to him in every kind of way. And I just go, oh, well, great. You know, how in the world are we going to do that? But fortunately, there are two things that we need to understand about that prayer and about that process. The first one is, is that, that Paul is going to go on to tell us pretty specifically what that looks like. What does this life that's worthy, this worthy life look like? And, and it's not what you may think, but it's, it, he's going to tell us pretty concretely what that looks like. And then the second thing we need to understand is that it is God who is doing this within us. Because sometimes we say, well, I'm, I'm going to try to live this worthy life. I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to please God in every way and all the time and do all this kind of stuff. And we think what that means is I'm going to work harder, try harder, and be better. But the reality is, is that most of us can't pull that off. I don't think any of us can pull that off. But it is God at work within us that accomplishes those things. He is praying that God will accomplish this thing, these things in us. And our part of that process is to say yes, is to be cooperative, moldable, shapeable people. Yes? I, I, may, I feel like I'm wandering here, but are you all with me on this? I, I, because sometimes we, we approach the things of God and we say, well, I, I really want to be like God. I really want to please him. I really want to be that person he wants me to be. And, and so I'm either going to try harder, and we do that, or, or we get into the process and, and, and we hear and we understand God's promptings and leadings, and we, we're looking at his word and we're understanding his wisdom, his perspective on life, and then we say, Oh, but I don't want to do that. And then we are frustrated. We say, well, why am I, why am I not satisfied? Why is, why is this happening to me or that happening to me? And, and all those kinds of things. And, 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 and Paul is just reminding them to say, God is at work within you. 
doing this great work, our part is simply to be pliable in his hands and be willing to say, yes, God, I want to go with you. I want to go in your direction, so shape me and mold me. Take my thoughts and my attitudes and my life and all that kind of stuff. I want to say yes to your leadings and promptings, and he does that in us. So with that said, let me, let me just continue on to tell you how Paul describes this life that's worthy, or, or I want to get or say it right the way he I don't have my glasses on here, but everybody live this life worthy of the Lord. I, that almost just scares me, worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in all things. Every time I read that, I go, ah! But I got to tell you, there's something here. And he describes it as four different things that describe what this life that's worthy and pleasing to the Lord looks like. The first thing is this, that he says that it is a life that's bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. And I want to suggest to you today that this is something more than just doing something that ends up in a result. Sometimes we say, well, if I'll do this, then this will happen. I'm looking at my time here and I'm running out of time. If I do this, this will happen. If I do that, that'll happen, and th- that'll be all my good work. But, but I want to just said, suggest to you that this idea of bearing fruit is so much easier than we sometimes make it, because we think, well, if I've accomplished this, 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 then I'm bearing fruit, right? We, we have a, a list of how we define what that looks like, but I want to just tell you there's something else that happens here. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, we, we, this is not about us trying to, oh, I'm going I'm to make that fruit happen. But it's about being connected. It, it, it's about being connected to the vine. It's being connected to the, the core stock of who we are. It's not about us trying harder. It's about us trusting more. When when we're connected into Christ, when we're living in him and flowing in him and allowing his power and his life to flow through us and cooperate with what he wants to do, the fruit comes naturally. It's not something we're saying, well, if I'll just do this, 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 we'll get there. It's really about saying, if I just abide in Christ, if I am absorbed in him, if I find in him my joy, if I find in him my peace, if I find in him my sustenance and help and my nurturing... It is the natural thing that fruit flows out of that, that good things flow out of that. It's not that we say, I'm going to make fruit. It's say, we're going to make connection. <laughs> make connection, and the fruit will happen. Second thing is this. It says that we're growing in the knowledge of God. And sometimes we think, oh, well, if I just memorize more of my Bible, and, and part of it is learning about the understanding who God is and what Christ has done and all that kind of stuff. But it's more than that. It's more than that because it is a relationship with God. If we are growing in him and we're connected in him and we're living in that relationship, we will grow in the knowledge of God. Third thing he says that it is, he says that it is also being strengthened with God's power. And that's an ongoing process. We are being strengthened. That is an ongoing process process that happens. And sometimes we think about being strengthened with power, and we say, well, if I was strengthened with the power of God through his spirit, then what would happen? We'd be healing the sick. We'd be raising the dead. We'd be walking on the water. We'd feed the 5,000 with just a McDonald's Happy Meal. And, you know, we'd we'd be making it happen. And, And people would be drawn to us like 
throngs. They just say, yes, that's what we want to hear. We're going to follow you. But that's not what Paul says it is. Paul says that there's something different, that that being strengthened with the power of God really shows up in two big ways. It shows up in our patience and in our endurance. That's it. That that is the power of God at work. It's, It's not some showy kind of thing that we're doing. That's nice, and God does heal, and God does do all that kind of stuff. But that's not really what he's talking about. When he's talking about being strengthened with the power of God, he's talking about being strengthened with patience and endurance. Now, now you have to understand there, these are two very different kinds of things that we're being strengthened with. And because patience has to do with this idea of dealing with problems. It says you're patient in the sense of problems that face you. You you have to wait sometimes. You have to walk through them. You have to have the patience to, to deal with problems that come your way. And Paul says that happens because of the power of God within you. Now, the interesting thing is that the word that he uses for endurance has to do with people. <laughs> I'm glad my wife chuckled at that. Nobody else did, but because these things kind of go together. <laughs> it's patience with problems and endurance with people, and guess where you have most of your problems? It's with people. And, and he puts those things together and he said, it is an act of God's power when we, are, when we patiently endure in the relationship stuff that happens around us. We've all got those. We all have that. But it is the power of God at work that really defines and shows that to say, you know, and, and you understand that. When you, when you meet somebody who's to say, oh my goodness, this this person is just like a saint. What's that person like? When you say this person is a saint, it's not because they're out walking on the water. It's not because they're out breaking the bread and feeding 5,000. It's because of their character and how they interact with the people around them. Paul says that is the sign of God's power at work because that doesn't happen Without it. Okay. Fourth thing he says is this. Is that this life that is worthy of the Lord and is pleasing to him all the time is filled with giving thanks. Not only giving thanks, but joyfully giving thanks. You know, and obviously all of us have those days. Some days... You know, it's a lot easier to give thanks than other days. But, but, but Paul here says, you know what? That's part of this life that's worthy of him, to have a thankful spirit, to have a, a thankful heart. And he, and he says, and he, what's so good about this is he begins to describe what does this look like? I mean, if you, if you can't be thankful for anything else, be thankful for this. He says four things. And I really think the last three kind of define the first one, but... But he says four things. He says, one, he has qualified you to share in the inheritance. 
He has qualified you to share in the inheritance. If you can't be thankful for anything else, be thankful that that Christ has made a way for you to be included in the inheritance. Now, this is kind of important. I'm way past. I'm so sorry. Okay, just remember, this is real important because he's writing to Gentile believers about something that has a historical background in Judaism. And, and there is, you know, one of his messages he always says is that there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. He has brought these people together and he's saying to them, you know, you're not on the outside. You're not on the outside looking in. He has qualified you to be in the, the inheritance. That's a big deal. He says he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Aren't you glad for that? Uh, because uh, he talks about this a lot when he says, you know, your life used to be like this. You're, you used to be in darkness, but now you're in light. And he says, this is good news. You can get excited about this, that, that we're not stuck in those dark places where we used to be in the way we used to live, live in the futility of our minds. We're not stuck in that place anymore because he has rescued us rescued us from the dominion of darkness, which we could preach a whole sermon on that, but I'm just going to tell you, it is his rescuing us and not us being better. It's him that's pulling us out of that stuff. And he has brought us into the kingdom of the sun, out of darkness, into the kingdom of the sun, and he has given us redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that good? I'm telling you that, that that's hope for us, folks. Well, I don't know, that's hope for me. Because I tell you what, there there is a rescuing that happened in my life. There's a rescuing that continues to happen in my life. There is hope and life and forgiveness and newness that comes because we're in Jesus Christ. And being thankful for those things is part of this essence of a life that's worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him at all times. That's Paul's prayer for these Colossians. It's his prayer for us and my prayer for you and for myself. And the invitation we have is to stay connected. Stay connected to the vine. Continually develop our relationship with Jesus Christ. Allow God to shape your character into patient endurance. And be thankful for God's good work in you. Amen? Well, we begin. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings, for your hope and help. It's good news that came to us. And Lord, we want to live that out moment by moment for you. It's good news here. It's good news in Ethiopia. It's good news all around the world. Lord, help us to live that life. Help us to rest in you. And Lord, as we receive our offering this morning, we pray that you would bless it, that you would use it for your kingdom's sake, and that, Lord, you uh, would just show up as this God who provides and your people who joyfully give. So bless us as we journey with you, we pray in Jesus' name.